So hopefully everybody has an outline. It should say, uh, what's that in your hand? So hopefully you have an outline in your hand. What's in your hand right now is an outline. We're going to explain some more about what's that in your hand, what that means as we read about Moses. So we're going to start today in Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 17. And uh, so he has this visitation from the Lord. And uh, it's pretty dramatic, and the story is pretty dramatic. And I, I was thinking about the other day, for centuries and centuries, you know, after this happened, uh, how few people really had a visitation from the Lord, but in our century, now there's just so many visitations and so many amazing things uh, that are happening with people, prophets, uh, apostles, uh, signs, wonders. And uh, I suppose it's a sign of the end of times, but... I know even in my childhood, it wasn't as strong as it is now in terms of the whole earth experiencing the glory of God and, and miracles and signs and things that uh, haven't been seen in generations. I just want you to know that this isn't a crusty old word that I'm giving today, but this is very much a part of the massive evangelism, the, the massive numbers of Muslims and Hindus and groups that haven't known the gospel, haven't known about Jesus or didn't even, weren't even interested these groups are suddenly becoming interested because of these amazing things that are happening on our planet, which I believe probably coincides with something toward the end, time of the end in terms of uh, we're getting closer and closer to when Jesus comes back. So I want to read uh, a story from uh, Exodus 4, 1 to 17. Moses answered, wonder if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you. So <laughs> Moses has this amazing visitation. And basically the visitation is, uh, I'm, you're going to go back uh, to uh, your people and uh, who are under slavery and bondage, and you're going to lead them away from uh, Pharaoh. So if you know the background, he was in Pharaoh's court. He was raised there and uh, actually stood up for one of his countrymen. And, uh, and then Pharaoh wanted to murder him, so he's off in exile uh, in the land of Midian, Right? So the Lord catches up with him one day. He says, you know, I want you to go back and I want you to lead all my people away from it, uh, Egypt. So he's quaking in his booth. I mean, he's been given a big assignment. I like big assignments and I don't like them. I like them because most big assignments in the Lord will scare you half to death. They take you out of your comfort zone. And almost every big assignment I've ever been on, whether it's witnessing to somebody or whether it's making a decision, for our area, church, a new thing to do, is always taking a tremendous amount of, of uh, courage and faith. And so I entitled this, What's That in Your Hand? Because eventually God says that to him. And, but that little phrase is so uh, such a great inscription of what, how God uses us with miracles. We're always expecting it to come from here or there or somewhere else, you know, but <laughs> he takes us and he delights in using our humility are being intimidated to step out, out of our comfort zone with the staff that is the provision of God. What's that in your hand? So that's not a very comfortable position to be in, but you get do it a little bit, and you get a little more comfortable with it, but then God will find some other harrowing experience or something else that He wants you to do that will freak you out all over again, right? He's always testing you on, what's that in your hand? What do you want to, what do you, would you like to do with me? What are we going to do today is another way of saying that, together. 
So Moses gets the word. You know, he's supposed to go back and deliver all of Israel who are now very lucrative slave labor for almost everything Egypt is doing. He's supposed to take them out and go somewhere. <laughs> and he knows it's not going to be very well received. First by Jews, and then by the Egyptians themselves. One, if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. This is Exodus 4.1. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. <laughs> so far, so good. But this question, what is that in your hand? is asked of us all the time. I don't know want to know what you don't have. I would like to know what you do have. Yes. One thing you always have is a prayer, right? And so I have found that even just the act of prayer is in my hand, right? But often I've found along with that prayer come a few other steps. Like, for example, prayer isn't just asking about something. Prayer is receiving instructions. <laughs> so you take that staff in your hand, you know, it's the anointing of God, right? Which includes asking and hearing. Doing what God wants you to do. And it turns out for New Testament believers that staff in the hand is the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, the very presence of God and the commands of God, right? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. It's pretty fun. I would love to see that. I wouldn't want to be doing it, but I would love to see it. Then the Lord said to him, then this part I really wouldn't want to do, reach out in your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. It would be just like the Lord to make it a poisonous snake also, right? This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So he's given this staff that he's going to use with Moses' faith to have tremendous power, right? Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what. Walking with God in the supernatural is not for the faint of heart. It's just not for the faint of heart. I've never found it for the faint of heart, man. <laughs> just, <laughs> just when you think you've got enough faith, man, he turns and you do something else, it just freaks you out. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the ground will become blood on the ground. Right? Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. <laughs> I have never been eloquent. Now, now look at this. Okay with the stick, okay with the snake, but this speaking thing is terrifying him. It is absolutely terrifying him. It's just such a good example of us. Usually when we see somebody doing something or, you know, a miracle that happens to someone, we just think, oh, they were so bold and everything. I guarantee you, almost no, Lord lets nobody off the hook of being terrified and scared to death. If they were used by God to do something, it's usually a, a great deal of courage was involved. They, they just stuck their neck out. They stepped out, right? And sometimes people learn that knack of this and start doing it all the time, right? And that's usually when the staff appears. The staff of God appears to do something amazing because God seems to love faith. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I, I've never been, part, excuse me, excuse me, we're, before this gets too far along here. I really haven't been very eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I know he's thinking also, 
he's been around the court a little bit. He was born in the court, so he's seen people lose their heads. He's seen people, Pharaoh's whims, you know, off with you, get out of here, throw them in the lion's den, whatever, right? The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Good question. <laughs> who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Who, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what you should say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. <laughs> I really like these stories. Please, you know, I appreciate the invitation. So nice of you to include me. But could you send somebody else? <laughs> okay, wrong answer. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and will be as if he were your mouth, and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand, so you can perform the signs with it. So there it goes, that staff, what's that in your hand, right? So he gets a staff, and the staff has miracles in it, well, when he exercises in faith. It's his faith, but something happens when he, he does that, right? So moving to, ex, uh, I mean, to uh, Exodus 14. Verse 10. So we see at this, now a lot's happened already. Most of you know this story a little bit, right? So Moses does all these miracles and stuff, but it ends up, uh, he does one last huge miracle that ends up killing the firstborn in the entire nation, except for those that had the blood on their door. Remember that? And so uh, he takes Israel with him, finally, and they're on their way to the promised land. But Pharaoh gets a little bit upset. He thinks, what am I doing? All my slave labor is leaving. This is going to be a disaster economically. And in every which way. We like these slaves, right? And how they have the audacity to do that. So he forgot what he had seen in the supernatural, the staff and everything, right? So he, he goes and gets them, right? So Pharaoh finds them by the Red Sea. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? <laughs> now, nobody likes him. Nobody. He has no friends whatsoever. Maybe Aaron. Maybe. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? <laughs> it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So Moses has no friends at this point. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Now, interesting enough, something grew between the first time, the last time, I, the very beginning of this journey, and now. He's convinced now. There's something different. He grew in his faith. And this is exactly a process that we go through. It's so important that you learn to, so to speak, slay your lions and your bears, like David, before you get to Goliath. And so God tests you, gives you opportunity. But the thing is, be careful about the opportunity to exert faith because God keeps upping the ante. Now, he's not just critical or mean or mean-spirited. The reason why he does that is he wants to use you more and more mightily. Yes. It's always a sign you're on the right track when God keeps giving you bigger and bigger challenges. So this is where our whole church is right now. We believe God for so many crazy things things we never thought would emerge, things that we could never thought we could do. 
the school, the warehouse, and a number of things that took every bit of faith, every bit of money, every bit of chance in us to, to do, even buying these buildings, even moving to this building. From the very beginning, it's been one miracle after another, taking the staff of God and hoping that God would come through when we took the steps that we needed to. We've never had enough money to do anything, frankly, ever. I just gave up on that whole concept a long, long ago. I don't even bother to try to raise the money in advance. I just do it, and God brings it. Or I guess it wasn't God. not my fault, right? <laughs> I'll tell you, but, you know, still. And uh, so I think the more you go through these things, it's always fearful and always worrisome, some, uh, you know, especially when you start working with the living God because He always is trying to expand your horizons. And He wants more and more out of you. And the reason why he wants more and more out of you is twofold. First of all, he's got some work and some opinions on things. And the second thing is he wants you to grow into who you're supposed to be. Right? The worst possible place you can get is to settle. That's the worst possible place. It's the most dangerous place of all. When you settle, all kinds of things happen. It's the point where you lose your guard. You aren't as spiritually sharp. You're not watching and the enemy can come and snatch things and actually attack and tries to take advantage of you because you're not up to fighting. You sort of thought you could retire from battle. You can't retire in this thing. You're either going forward or backward, but you can't retire. Here's the most dangerous scripture in the Bible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Did you hear that? <laughs> What's that mean? Ooh, that means... A lot of trouble, predicaments, things, and then just about the point that you think you've arrived and you've been promoted and look at my kingdom, he, try, he says, I want more. And he even threatens you're going to lose your kingdom if you don't go farther, whatever your kingdom might be. Right? So no matter how you've been promoted by the Lord, he has this nasty habit of bringing bigger and bigger battles. And this is where Moses was. So the Egyptians now are trying to murder everybody, run him in the Red Sea. Moses answered the people, now listen to this. He's changed. It's okay. Here we go again. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Now he's beginning to talk like God. Now, before, he's running from, you know, snakes. He's, you know, <laughs> terrorized. He can't even talk. He wants Aaron to talk for him. All this. He says, you know what? I'm, I think I'm gonna, I have a word for you guys. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites. <laughs> I don't think he was trying not to cry out, but evidently there must have been something in his voice. Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand. Here's that staff again. What's that in your hand? For me, that staff is the anointing of God, but it's specific. Only Moses could carry that particular stick. But what stick do you have to do good in the earth? What stick do you have to do good in your family or to walk with God? God doesn't like to leave anybody stuck. The worst place you could be is to be a nominal believer, not seeing anything. Oh, God's miraculous power. Just sort of surviving, going to church because someone told you, looking at your watch. Not sure about this spiritual stuff. But this thing that we're talking about, walking with God, and here's the key, without faith it's impossible to please God, is not for the faint of heart. 
And if you have a faint heart, you're going to get, you're just going to suffer because God's not too happy, and the devil's pleased to kick you around from one side to the other, just like a like a little ball, right? So you find yourself in the uncomfortable position of being being in between two spiritual worlds, and it's best that you choose the one that wins all the time than the one that loses all the time, right? Or maybe wins but illegally, right? So with us, we win. With us, we win. It's just that on the way to the victory, it can be a little daunting and a little fearful. And so what I've decided with my life in a, a while back, and I always get challenged again, but I always try to move toward more, not less. I'm always looking for more, whether it's in the nations that we're doing work in or here. What's next? What do we do more? What do we do more? What do we do? We didn't come to survive. We didn't come to be in a little pool of holiness while the whole rest of the world rages. We came to take over. And if you don't believe that, you better believe your sponsor because that's the way he thinks about it. <laughs> and without your sponsor, you don't got nothing. <laughs> so you might as well take that staff in your hand, whatever it is, and use it. What's that in your hand? And it's different for everybody. You might be a, in a position of unusual authority. You may not. You may be the father of a household that uh, needs uh, this amazing input <clears throat> from you to, for the kids to do well. Some of you might even be in mixed marriages. And, and you have an anointing, though, by, by meaning that maybe there was a divorce and there was a recombination of families, or perhaps there's other things. But God gives you the staff, and he'll lead you through it, no matter what the devastation is in. Maybe you're in a time of healing. Maybe there's cancer or some other thing that's fighting you. You know, you have to keep that staff in your hand and you raise it at the right time. God will give you the breakthrough. You just can't run. That's the thing you can't do. God does not like cowards. He likes them in the sense of he loves you and he'll love you no matter what. But without faith, here's a word, it's impossible to please God, which is another sentence for you could probably put that in your staff. <laughs> that's what the staff means. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on, on dry ground. <laughs> now, I probably I don't think he probably seen that one before. Matter of fact, I don't think there's any human being ever in the history of humankind that ever had something like that happen where some guy spoke over. No magician, no, no, you know, whatever, no religious figure ever spoke over a sea and told it to part. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, chariots and his horsemen, right? So, you know what happens. He raises that staff, the sea parts, Pharaoh goes in after him, the sea closes over the enemies of God, and Israel is, is uh, defeated, right? So, so if you look at uh, Roman numeral 2, God especially uses our testimonies of victory in the midst of our trials. Moses was at first rejected by both Israel and Pharaoh, right? The New Testimony was this powerful staff in Moses' hand. 
And so he goes through this thing with him, right? And uh, I'll just click down to B1 there. Great spiritual authority comes from our testimonies. I love this so much. Um, our testimonies are so incredibly important in terms of understanding what God wants to do with us. Every one of you here in this room that I'm, I'm looking at has a testimony. Something that God did for you in your very unique way. And it's so important that you remember those testimonies where, well. Romans 12, 10 to 12, 11 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of this Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Notice this, the blood of the Lamb, which is what qualifies you to be a believer, but by the word of their testimony. So as we look about what's that in your hand, what's in your hand is a testimony. What's the staff in your hand is a victory won before to then exert at another time. Right? So it's really, really important that you learn to take the victories and to turn them into more victories. What's that in your hand? They overcame him by what? By the word of their testimony. And I can't tell you how many people have been healed or delivered or set free by a word of testimony. You know, just in this, this room. Just, uh, you had a word, you know, and you said that testimony and somebody else got inspired by it, and then you went forward and got a testimony of your own. And so what's that in your hand is your testimony that actually affects other people to have testimonies just by hearing your story. And so what testimonies are in your hand? What new testimonies does God want to add to you as you step out in faith and do the works Jesus told you to do? So I want to look at these just a couple of passages. As you proclaim, he says to the disciples, proclaim this mess as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. There it is again. There it is again. Freely you have received, freely give. Then he says, Don't get any gold or silver or copper to take with you, no bag. All you need is this anointing on you. People will take care of you. Just go. What's that? What's that in your hand? It's another way of saying this. But he doesn't have a staff or anything tangible. He just goes with the presence of the Lord, which is actually now where we're at. The same commission is for us. He was using these disciples to actually demonstrate what our job is. Wow. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received freely give. What did you receive? You received God's authority. You became a Christian and God put a staff in your hand. That's why he said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Notice he says disciples of all the nations. He's after the whole world. And how is the whole world going to come to Christ? They're going to come to Christ the same way Israel came around and became a people. They're going to come to Christ because they're going to see miracles. They're going to see the hand of God and they're going to repent and they're going to turn to God and then they're going to go and do the same. You know, the world, I've discovered uh, over a long period of time, understands miracles. I've been some very, very dark places. I had uh, occasion at the beginning of my ministry to follow a crazy man who took me from one end of the earth to the other. Uh, 
and I saw what I could get away with. That's what I saw. He would take chances. He would do things. He scared me half to death. I'd come back from one of those trips, my head spinning. And I would say to my wife, no, I didn't tell her all of it, but I I told her most of it. I said, I think I've told her all of it by now. But I sort of say, I can't believe we did that. I can't believe we did that. So this guy, sort of like, I suppose I was like Joshua under him, but I, I just learned from him. And he just showed me. And we would do the craziest stuff. I mean, we would go into places without a visa. We, we would climb, think we'd be places in the in darkest places of the world in the middle of the night. And he'd be looking for someone or someone he knew once about a time, you know, or maybe could help us out or whatever. I mean, it's just like. And then the Lord would do these miracles. And I realized I had a staff in my hand. I realized it was more than him. I realized it was the boldness. Yes. And, uh, and so... Many things that we've done since then uh, happen with this staff, that learning how to use the staff of God, you know, that the Lord gives, this faith that, especially when it has something to do with the lost and the poor. That's when uh, you can have a lot of uh, confidence that your staff uh, will work, that God's anointing uh, will work, right? So... Desires, visions, and dreams are all part of the staff of God. Let them take you on a journey with Him. So I think that I've noticed that a lot of people get visions and dreams and want to do stuff, but they forgot one thing. Once they get into it, it's pretty fun, but when it starts to be hard and when they have to start being misunderstood and it looks like they're out of their mind, you know, they don't like it so much. So don't underestimate a desire from God that touches your heart, even if people may not understand it at first, like Moses, right? Don't underestimate this desire. But also, if he put a sincere desire in your heart to do something, maybe spectacular, maybe amazing, and I think in the United States we always have a tendency to think big and look big, but beware of thinking big. God will say, that's a cool idea. I really like that idea. All right, let's go. Right? And then you're expecting him to sort of just whisk you away in his car and take you and do all the work. And yet it's never like that. Never, ever, ever. I keep waiting for the day it will be like that. But it never is. So everything that we've done around here, everything we've done in the nations is like that. What's that in your hand? God actually... This is a very interesting phrase by Bill Johnson. It's on 3B. Makes himself vulnerable to the desires of his people. That's the hook. He makes you vulnerable. He makes himself vulnerable. You start stepping into this and he starts going, okay, hey, very cool, good, come on now, come on now. And then he puts an army in back of you wanting you to use your staff to make cross the Red Sea. (laughs) So... It's not all that dramatic. Matter of fact, I find in this little school he actually uses you with bears and lions before you get to Goliath. <laughs> but isn't David a good picture of that? Got a little haughty, got a little proud of himself, you know, killing these lions and bears, and then comes this Philistine. And are we love to tell these stories. We just don't like to be a part of them, especially we're in the middle of it, right? <laughs> If you look at this 3B, when we accept Jesus, he makes us his friends. 
which is really cool. Except the thing is, if you ever noticed about friends, they kind of like to do stuff together, you know? They kind of like to do things. So whatever their interest is, that's why you have a friend, you know? Well, it turns out that this friend, Jesus, likes to put you in the most risky, terrible, scary situations. He puts his staff in your hand, says it works, and then says, go do it, you know, right? And uh, so, look at this. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. It's just that, (laughs) instead I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you, right? Which sounds fairly simple on, on, the, on the surface, right? But, but, but then he starts making known things to us that we're supposed to do, and sometimes he just sort of leaves us to do that. And, uh, but in this little invitation thing, you know, he calls us friends. God actually makes himself vulnerable to the desires of his people. So it's not just like he's out there bossing around to do things. He, he, he puts this desire in your heart, and then you begin to walk it out. So it's not like you're just there, yes, sir, and I'm going through it. It's like you want this to happen, but you don't give the courage to have it happen, right? So it gives you a little help and pushes you along. But then there's that jumping off place where he isn't hanging around much anymore, and you've got to make a decision, like take your staff and wave it over the Red Sea. <laughs> now the people are upset enough. Can you imagine if... He waves his hand over this Red Sea deal, and it doesn't happen. Can you imagine what happens to him before everybody gets annihilated, right? (laughs) So it's a risky situation, right? But this is an interesting passage, Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's just that when he gives you the desires of your heart, he may take you on a journey about it, right? And... uh, and, and, and I think there's desires placed in our heart that are very unselfish. So you're, you're sort of disarmed by that. Well, what would be better, Lord, than to, like, feed people and to take care of the poor? Wouldn't that be amazing? Yes, son, that would be so amazing. So you don't have a tenant in the warehouse right now, right? No, but I'm really looking for one. Because I don't know if we can afford it without a tenant. That's a lot of square footage, Joe. That's 50,000 square feet. And you know how much it costs. Yes, I know how much that costs. But why don't you start feeding those people you've been talking about? Well, Lord, isn't that warehouse a little big for that? I mean, it's 50,000 square feet and there's nobody in there. I, well, remember what Mother Teresa said to you? Look, see, and do something about it. And, and, and you laughed at her, and you said, you don't know where I live? And then she said back, where do you live? And I said, Orange County. And then she said, you're wrong. And I said, well, what do you mean I'm wrong? I mean, we're a pretty wealthy neighbor. Just people that are broken are everywhere. Yes. Look, see, and do something about it. Suddenly the recession comes home. I'm looking around. I'm thinking, there's not a chance I'm going to get a, a tenant in a million years. So he put out a little bit of food on a table in the middle of 50,000 square foot. And to my utter amazement, people lined out the door to get the food. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is South Orange County. I know things have been a little rough. Are you telling me this many people need food? And it just kept going. And I started getting more and more food. 
And then the unthinkable happened. They started bringing me stuff. Bicycles and tables. And I'm thinking, and I got mad. I said, what am I going to do with all this junk? This is ridiculous. Now I've got to pay for it to be removed. That's what I thought. And then one guy says, well, I see what you mean, but that bike over there, shoot, I think I'd even buy that bike. And I said, is it that expensive? He said, yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, let's try to sell the bike. So we put a price tag on it, and it was gone immediately. And then we started selling other stuff, and we found out people like all kinds of stuff. Just get a really good discount on it, right? And they started coming. So we started going step after another. And then my brother says, hey, there's this refrigerator up in, like, Idaho. I'll go get it. I said, well, how big is it? He said, gigantic. It's like a huge, massive freezer. And I said, well... We just get a little food. I mean, I'm not committed. I don't want to. I, I don't want to do this. I'm looking for a tenant. I just want to do it temporarily. So being aware, I mean, finally. So I just let him go. He went and got it. He said, "Oh, come on, man, that'll be cool. Go, I'm gonna go get it." So he goes and gets this thing. It costs like thirty thousand dollars. I couldn't believe it. I can't. I couldn't believe. It. I'm doing thirty thousand. Now I'm not. I, I need the money. Now I'm spending thirty thousand on a refrigerator. I'm in the middle of Orange County. Who is going to come? It's in South Orange County. Who's going to come and get food out of this warehouse? Right. Right. What's that in your hand? Okay. So we did, and people started lining up the door more and more and more, and the rest is history. Gave more. Grew, 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 grew. And at each stage, it just keeps growing, and it hasn't stopped since the day we started. It just keeps moving out more and more and more. And then we got into homeless and housing them and feeding people from their proceeds. And we didn't know how to do that. And I said, Lord, nobody's going to let us put people in their houses, these nice houses around here. And uh, so... People kept telling me, just just give it a shot. We don't have any choice. Just give it a shot. So we did. And I found out that people don't mind gigantic houses. They let us put people in them. I thought there was no way, no way in a million years that people will allow us. And they're letting us do it. So we're putting these people in these houses and paying a lot of money for the houses, yes. But nevertheless, uh, it just began to work out. And so we've been housing and feeding and taking care of and every kind of need under the sun in the warehouse has gone absolutely ballistic, right? But it didn't start like that. The Red Sea parting was outstanding. <laughs> but it didn't start like that. Moses thought, frankly, he was going to get stoned. And then I could have just imagined what in his, going on in his heart when the Lord tells him, <laughs> what's that in your hand? Why don't you just stand over it and part it? Now you can imagine, I mean, poor Moses, what is he thinking? The people are going to stand, stone him, and that probably would have sealed the deal, you know. He stands up there like he's a hero, and commanding the sea to part, and nothing happens, you know. And these guys are about to crush them, right? So you can see this vulnerability thing. All of us like the miracles, but nobody likes the vulnerability. What's that in your hand? But the vulnerability is where the miracles are. And I'm looking at my Cambodian friends here. And so, uh, hi, Polly, nice to see you. So, uh, me and their dad went on an adventure. My crazy mentor, turns out it had a ministry in Cambodia. 
And then he leaves the scene. And this man from Cambodia leaves the refugee camps, makes it to America, and finally makes it to our neighborhood. And he starts talking to me about God telling him to go back to Cambodia. But Cambodia, how many people got murdered in Cambodia? Anybody know? Yeah, they annihilated almost every Cambodian, and the rest fled, right? Wow, and the Vietnamese came in later. So this is not a very nice place, right? And her dad says, their dad says, you know, I, I think that we should go back to Cambodia. And I'm thinking, yeah, maybe someday we'll go. <laughs> maybe someday we'll go. <laughs> we ended up going. There was a prophetic word, which is always dangerous. It's nice to receive prophetic words until you have to act, actually act on them and you risk your life. Then that gets a little confusing, right? So, again, what's that in your hand? Okay, so we go. And so by that time, it, this place is a banana republic. They've had like five dictators, you know, and one of them's kind of the chief dictator, and they just murdered umpteen million people, one of which was your family had experienced death from that, right? And so, so Paul was so brave to go, and I went, and my friend Martin, and, and uh, Bob, were you on that trip? Oh, uh, I can't remember. Somebody else was there. So we go in there, you know. First of all, we go in, and we don't know what we're going to do. But our main goal was to find a little building, maybe a house that we could rent to start a church. We just sort of do it secretly. Well, I go in there, and I've, I've got a ketchup stain on my white shirt. You know, I lose all my luggage. The luggage gets lost somehow, and I'm standing there wondering what we're going to do. No luggage. We have a hotel. This travel agent comes up, and he says, you know, I'm a travel agent. Would you like to see something? And I said... Yeah, well, maybe. I don't know. We, we just lost our luggage. I don't, we were just kind of exploring. I didn't tell them what we were doing. Then I just said, yeah, I'd like to see the prime minister. <laughs> I, I mean, I just joking. I wasn't kidding. I wasn't serious. I'm just, I'd like to see the prime minister, you know. And he says, okay. <laughs> and I said, what? He said, okay. I'm a, I'm a friend of the prime minister. You're a travel guide. No, he says, well, yeah, I do that as a business, but uh, I've got some history. I used to be an officer in the military, and yeah, so. Would you like to see him or not? <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Sure. I thought, there's no way he's going to deliver. Well, the next day, still our luggage hadn't come. I got, all we have is these clothes, and, and this, the next morning, and I don't have time to get any cl- new clothes, so I walk in with my ketchup-stained sta- T-shirt, walk in, and to my chagrin, cameras are everywhere. They're taping the whole thing because they got in habit like they're going to rebuild. So they want to rebuild. They want to make every foreigner that comes famous, right? And because these guys and makes them look good because these guys are here to help us, right? So so me so we just walk in, blah blah. And I'm thinking, so Paul, so Paul, you sure you want to be here? Like these guys wanted to kill you. These guys are the same guys that persecuted you. Are you sure you want to? Yes, sure. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if you want to risk your life, okay, fine, I'll go in there. I don't think they'll do too much to me. I'm an American, right? But for you, are you sure? I said, okay. So in we go, right? And then the guy says, so we're talking along, you know? So this is the head guy of the whole nation and a couple of those guys. And we're sitting there. And these are the same guys. This is the same guys that had killed all those people. And I'm looking there, you know, and everything. He says, well, welcome to our nation. And I said, like, you know, it's like <laughs> you're, in, you're in Barbados or something. Welcome to my island. You know, here we are, you know. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, you bloodthirsty, you guys, my, my, my. 
you know. <laughs> That's just going through my mind. And so he says, and I don't know why he turned to me. He turned to me. He says, well, what do you want to do here? And I thought, I can't tell him what we want to do. I'm, I'm stumbling, you know. That, well, finally, I don't know what happened to me, but I found that staff. I want to come in here and plant churches. And we want to feed the poor and the weak. And to give benevolence throughout the whole country. It's a devastated place. And he said, well, like, what do you mean benevolence? And I said, well, we want to feed people. We want to build schools. I was just thinking anything I could think of. You know, I had no idea what I wanted. I mean, I was just thinking whatever you could think of, whatever he liked to hear, whatever. Uh, and I said, but I... But I also want you to know, and this is where I thought I was proud of myself. I, I want to plant churches. We want to plant churches for Jesus Christ. He looks at me, thinks about it for a minute. And then he goes, hmm. He says, well, could you build me a school? Well, what do you mean? He said, well, in my province, I need, we need a school. Could you build one? I said, yeah, we sure could do that. <laughs> we, did. we said that. I have a penny. Yes, I, we could barely pay for the flight. Yes, we could absolutely do that. And he says, <laughs> he says, huh, that's good. Uh, and then we talked a little bit further. And, he, and then I said, and I went for broke. I said, look, we don't know where to find a place to rent for a building. Do you know of a building we could, like, rent or something? you know of anybody? And he looked at me and he says, hmm, I think I could help you with that. Right? <laughs> so he gives us this guy, to, you know, and then he says, and you can give me that school, right? And I said, yeah. And I said, uh, like, how much do you think it might cost? No, he said maybe twenty-five thousand. Oh, okay. <laughs> so then we go all over town. Then finally we go to this place. He said, and it's a facility. It's like half a block, three quarters of a block long. It's got five stories. It's giant. I just went a little room. This is five stories of like a whole thing, right? And he says, uh, he says, so, so. To get that building, we had to put down like $15,000 down payment and then commit ourselves to 15 years. So I signed my name to that lease for 15 years. Now I figured something, you know, I think, well, I'm going to be in the United States and, you know, he probably can't catch me. <laughs> and then I thought after I signed, I thought, oh my gosh, but Paul's going to be here. Oof, that could be bad. Well, I couldn't find anything else, so I said, forget it. So we did it. We just did it. Put our name on that, all that stuff, right? So what I needed right away between the 15 down and the, the other money was 40 right down. And I'm thinking, I just committed myself to $40,000 to a lease for who knows many, how many years. And, 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 and so Paul's got, a, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I had zero money, not anything. We had nothing, no money. So I come home, and I'm crying all the way home. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm so boastful. I sh- what am I doing? What am I, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. All the way home, I'm thinking. And I come home, I walk in the house, and there's a prayer meeting going on. My wife has this little prayer meeting going on in there, you know. And, uh, and they're praying about Cambodia and everything. And so, hey, oh, Mike, you're home. Tell us all about it. You know, then I tell them a little bit about it and everything. So after I got done, then I, I, said, uh, I said, so this lady corners me. Uh, on, on our way out, on the, I remember exactly at our old house, Scott, on, the, on your driveway, I, I remember exactly where I was standing. I, I want to put like two gold footprints and I was standing, right? Because I am absolutely at this point terrified. I think I've screwed up everything. I'm thinking I put Paul at risk. I'm thinking, and I'm standing there. I remember exactly where I was standing. And this girl comes up to me and she says, well, how much do you need? Well, and I was really ashamed. I thought, oh, well, 
I need $40,000 right away. So he gets in her purse, writes me a check for $40,000 on the spot. I never seen this woman in my life. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know nothing about her. I found something about her later, but you know, and she helped us a lot. And so that was the beginning of that thing. The only reason why I told that story is because, again, it's like, and there's, I got so many stories now past that, past that. And we're making new stories all the time. And uh, so the question is, what's your story? And it doesn't have to be as dramatic as that. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's not that it needs to be dramatic or anything. It's just that I think in our own world, if we really want to do something, for, well, it might be actually. Some of you maybe have to take great risk to your career or make great risk or whatever. God's giving you this idea. But this scripture is so great, 37.4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do it. So that was a desire of my heart. It, and that, I think the good part about it is, you know, um, it was our desire that we could actually restore Cambodia and we could plant a church there and, and, and grow and do something wonderful for the poor, which we've continued to do all these years. And then it just got more and more crazy as the years went on. We ended up buying our own facility, uh, building the whole facility and everything. And, and it's just like that still to this day. They're in danger constantly. Constantly risking their lives, constantly. So they live this. What that's in your, what's that in your hand every single day? I get to be over here and watch, you know. But compared to them, right? So look at three C there. God may be more passionate about your dreams than you are, especially if it involves <laughs> risk. I mean, you would think, yes, I know that's a very dangerous thing, Mike. You better be real careful about that one. I haven't heard God speak to me about that very much. Often when I want to do something, I mean, it's beware of burning bushes. That's all i got to say. Not that you might make a mistake, but I thought this was cute of me to say this. Look on your outline there. Not that you might make a mistake, but that you might miss a great chance to advance God's cause on the earth. Don't beware of bushes because you're afraid you're getting in trouble. Beware of bushes because you might miss one of the greatest opportunities in your whole life to do something for God. Right? And uh, I was going to write that differently, but now that I'm looking back on it, and it's a little easier on me now in retrospect, but it never gets easier for me and for all of us. I mean, we're doing this constantly around here. We've been risking, risking, risking since the day the pandemic hit. We never stopped. We kept, left all the doors open. We kept going, 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 building, 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 building for years now. All this stuff that you see and the changes that are going on in these buildings and everything, and we haven't seen all of it yet. It's still happening. All of it's been one fat risk. Why? Just, what's that in your hand? you got the staff of God in your hand. It means your part is you got to stick that staff out there and do something with it, right? Whether it's praying for someone that looks sick or whether it's taking a step of faith to give or whatever it is. So there's this guy named Moses, right? <clears throat> Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue, because he wants him to go talk to Pharaoh. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what you're to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. (laughs) Please send someone else. 
Now, these great heroes in the Bible, they're just like us. That's where it gets confusing, because you can read about this whole thing of the, you know, these heroes and stuff, but then you think about what they did, and here's Moses, you know, with the greatest of them all, just being totally honest with everybody, right? Is there anybody else that you would like to send, please? Then the Lord's anger burned. Uh-oh. The Lord's anger, I mean, he's just being honest. What do you mean the Lord's anger burned? Is it possible that the Lord could give you a vision, give you something so important to do that if you don't do it, he gets mad? I guess so. I don't know. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, by the way. He already, you know, the Lord's not sitting there surprised that Moses is going to say this. He knows exactly what he's going to say, right? So he's already got plan B. I'm going to bring Aaron down here. And he'll be glad to see you. <laughs> then you can go back up there together. You shall speak to him and put, and put words in his mouth. I hope both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so you can perform signs with it. So you know the rest of the story. He gets these, this staff and he's parting the Red Sea <laughs> doing all kinds of things, right? But he wasn't exactly like the most uh, uh, aggressive guy. He had to cope with the same thing we do. And uh, so we come down even, and there's a story in Joshua, we're about to go into the promised land. And one of the tribes says, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for inheritance? We're bigger than everybody else. We're a numerous people, and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. And that's a real key thing there. We are the most numerous, powerful tribe. Why are you only giving us one allotment in the land? You know, all of our soldiers are going to fight and everything, and we're only getting one little piece, and like compared to Benjamin, who's that? I mean, come on. Wow. If you are so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go into the forest and clear land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and Rephaites. <laughs> the people of Joseph replied, the hill country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who live in the plain have chariots fitted uh, with iron, both those in Bethshan and its settlements and those in the Jezreel. But Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, you're a big and strong people. You know, sometimes I wonder, you know, like we're like a signs and wonders church, right? We, we I think we could sort of, meaning that we, we like to go after that kind of stuff, right? But wonder if the Lord just challenges, okay, you're a signs and wonders church. Well, go ahead, man, go for it. But wait a minute, I don't want to go for it like that. That's too big. That's too much. You're too numerous. I mean, you're numerous and very powerful. You want to have only one allotment. You're right. I'm going to give you more than one allotment. <laughs> but here's what I'd like you to do. But the forest hill country, go, but the, I'll give you the forest hill country as well. Clear it, and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots fitted with iron, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. Clearly, God's attitude is a little different than ours. I'm a big shot. Give me the space do me. My tax revenue is going to be outstanding. Well, if you're a big shot, go clear the rest of this thing out because the little guys can't do it. So go, go out there and fight. Go win that battle. You mean like go fight? Yeah, fight. Actual blood. People die. Yes. So thing is, look at D. Without a revelation of the beauty and love of Jesus, I think we only release a little power. So I've been sort of... Um, leaving that part out, because I, I believe that part of our New Testament staff is very, very much dependent on not only that the power that we would like to exert, but really how, love, how much we fall in love with Jesus. 
So he gives this little parable to them. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, but because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Then he says this, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I don't want to let all that be drowned out by what he says before. I would tell you, though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, because of your shameless audacity. So, and the verb tense is in verse 9, keep on asking as the tense. Keep on knocking. So I just once keep on pursuing this until the answer comes. So when we think about praying for something, a miracle that we need, something we want God to do with us, there's this radical thing called prayer that prepares the way. But that radical thing in prayer is, it's not just one time, it's, Pursuing, pursuing, knocking, asking, knocking, asking, knocking, asking. Wear God out with it. Be ridiculous about it. Now, I have got in the habit of doing that. It's just that when it comes to jumping off the cliff, sometimes I'm a little scared, right, about it, right? right? But those are the two things, really. Well, sat in your hand. I've got an anointing to pray, and i got faith to release. Now go do God's work. I don't think anything substantial happens without those things, the prayer in your mouth and the actions in your feet. So look at the very bottom there. What else is in your hand? The clear mandate of heaven is to make disciples of all nations. This gospel of the kingdom we preach in the whole world, Matthew 24:14 says, and then the end comes. Guess what? We're in the middle of that right now. For you that don't know, I keep track of such things. We are invading, churches invading, and every tribe tongue and nation. We're involved in India in a place I never thought in a million billion world years I would be involved. And when I first got involved, I got way over my head. I started liking this way too much. I swore I'd never go back to India. I hated that place so bad. Nothing but death, nothing but population everywhere, nothing but weirdo, creepy people and no Jesus anywhere to be found. And then we got involved with India. And then the Lord clicks a switch. A switch is being clicked right now that almost nobody knows about. And we began to get involved in India. And we began to pray for the sick and do the things we do. And then we began to support them. And one thing led to another. We got involved when there were just a couple of hundred churches involved. Now there's 31,000 of them in a place that nobody thought could ever happen. And we're not talking about Nice Europeans, we're talking about Muslims and radical Hindus, violent, violent people. And the door swung the door open, and many of your contributions and your gifts have caused that to happen. And we took huge risks to do it. Just in the last five or six years, I think it is six maybe, I think we're coming to the six, but I think we're in our sixth year of really getting deeply involved in a whole layer of church planting and involvement. The gifts that have come from this church are responsible for over 300,000 people being saved. What I mean by that is we invested into the workers to go out on these harvest fields. 
We covered them for a year. They went and planted a church. And then they're now on their own. So it's amazing. It's amazing. And it just keeps going. There's a move of God going in this place that nobody thought. And by the way, though the politics of the world is just upside down and the craziness and all the weird stuff that's going on, there's never been a greater move of God in the history of humanity than right now on every tribe, tongue, and planet. Never seen anything like this. Muslims, Hindus, doesn't matter. Iran's got more than one problem. They think they have a political problem. They do. But it's inside out, and they know it. You might not know it. Because thousands and thousands of people are coming to Christ in the middle of that country. It's amazing. What a world. And so we as the Western church, what can we do? Good question. And it turns out we can do a whole lot. And so we are doing a whole lot, some of which we make public, and some of it we can't even make public because of the times. So God loves to multiply what we give Him. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is 2 Corinthians 9, 6, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful getter, giver. Now listen to this. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And that's the funny thing about this, is we just keep investing, the Lord just keeps giving us more. Yes. And, more and more. And more. But you have to try it out first. So sometimes you put the coin in and nothing comes out. But then three weeks later it comes out. God's like that. And sometimes everything comes at once beyond anything you could ask or think. Because He's always looking... He doesn't want you to take Him for granted. He loves your faith. He loves your faith. He loves that staff in your hand. He likes you to use it, right? And then you have to wait sometimes. But listen to this. God's able to bless you abundantly, so in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You cannot outgive God. You give, you give, you share, you, you, you get involved in the poor of our community, or you get involved in the deepest parts of the earth. God well, put it back on your own head. It may not come back in the form. It might come not back, come back right away. But eventually, you'll find out Thank you, Lord. that that thing in your hand works. It works. As it is written, they have scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Then he says, you will be enriched in every way so that you will be generous on every occasion. I'll say that again. You'll be rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. I have found that scripture. I think, well, yes, of course, I'm going to feel good. I'm going to have a reward in heaven. Yes, I'm enriched in every way. But what, what else is every occasion, whatever way? Whoa, even in my own finances. Yes. Wow. You will be enriched. So you start giving and giving and sowing and it just keeps coming back on your head. And then you do it again, and then you do it again. And through us, your generosity results in thanksgiving to God. The services you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. That's happening to us now. The warehouse has many thanksgiving. The thing is like everybody's thankful for the warehouse. You know why? Not because we just have great products and everybody likes to come and they get good deals. They like that. <laughs> but because they know it's for something deeper and bigger. They know. 
It's amazing. The average person that goes to war understands this is going out for the week, that we use the money for other purposes. We don't just use them to enrich us. We use that to house people, to feed people. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And who would that be? Jesus, right? Jesus. I love that passage of Scripture. It's so great, isn't it? Luke 6.38 says, Give, and now it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That is literally true. It's just that as you sow and do it everything, you go on these adventures. It's not like a cold thing where you just do this and then it's just like you go on these adventures with God. He takes you all these amazing places. It's amazing. And part of us giving, part of us expecting, and you just start doing stuff and it's just it's the best lifestyle on the planet, but also one of the scariest ones on the planet because actually you look down at your outline, part of this what's in your hand is problem solving and a very broken world and our world's getting more and more broken by the moment. Guess who the problem solvers are? Us. <laughs> what's that in your hand? <laughs> I'll finish with this, Psalm 133. I love these, this verse, this, this little thing here. How good and pleasant when brothers of God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured down on the head. Now, by unity, I mean not that we just all agree about some political thing or this or that. That we're all intent, like the early church, on one purpose, moving the gospel together with one intent to bless the earth, to bless the world, to be a, to do good, to sow good seed on the planet, to bring Jesus' cause into the earth. Right? It's part of what's in our hand. It's. But how blessed, good and pleasant is when God's people live together in unity. Because I just suggest to you, as you do that, you get more and more unified. You're doing something that matters, something together. It's like, and then what happens? It's like the precious oil starts pouring down on your head. A lot of sacrifice going into our school right now. It's difficult, hard work. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to have a school. In this time and season right now, it's worth it. I see those little kids out there and I go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I see my own grandson, grandchildren. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. There's a safe place, a good place. But also they're learning about this Jesus. It's not that we're protecting them. It's that we're equipping them. We're getting them ready. We're telling them stuff they're going to use in their life and they're going to believe these promises, right? And so things like that that we're doing that are just Really, it can be a really, you know, I've had, this is our second school. I love it with all my heart, and it just irritates me at the same time. Because little kids do stuff, and <laughs> cost money, and t- energy, and time, and oh, but it's worth it. It's like the precious oil poured down on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, because in these situations, and when you sow like this, and we dwell together, and we, we are God's people, and we're trying to help everyone, from our littlest child to our oldest adult, for the poorest to the richest, and everybody in between, and be this representative in the world, we see in that sort of place, the oil comes, and there the Lord bestows His blessing, even life evermore. I believe that the Lord's blessing rests on us now more than ever, and... Uh, thing is, uh, 
You never can rest with that thing. Uh, God's blessing keeps moving, right? He's a sort of interesting person. He he loves to hug you and give you kisses, and then he keeps challenging you like a general. Let's move out. <laughs> I like the kisses better. No, nope, time to move. Enough kissing. we got to go. <laughs> and then we go do something. Then we get, oh, yeah, it was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it's good. I'm limping a little bit, but it's good. It's good. It worked out good, you know. And that's where we are. That's what, and everything we're doing. God bless you guys. Bless you, particularly. You sacrifice a lot to take over that school. May the Lord's anointing and blessing be on you. And all that work with our children, those that are over there right now, may the Lord bless you. It's a good thing you're doing. What's that staff in your hand? It's not a comfortable thing. It's been hard for you to pioneer. And all the kids are just perfect. They never act up or do anything. <laughs> and their parents are so kind and understanding all the time. It's no problem. It's just so great. And they never break anything. They're never disobedient. They're doing great, right? Right? What's that in your hand? It's the anointing. It passed down to you. I'm not sure if you really wanted that stick. <laughs> maybe you still don't. You don't know. Maybe you're, in con- maybe you're in process. I don't know. But it got passed to you. May the Lord bless you, keep you, and all the ones that are involved with our kids, both in the children's ministries and also in the school. Let's all stand up. Lord, we just thank you for the privilege of doing your bidding in the world. Thank you for these lovely people who volunteered and sacrificed so much and only want to see your kingdom come. I think I'm going to give a weird altar call and then we're going to get busy with the baptizing so we might do all this all at once. The altar call doesn't mean that we need to do much about it other than I encourage you just to come as an act of your faith and maybe somebody will be up here to pray for you. I want you to let God think, just just give a moment, just let God think on you a little bit. Some of you don't have to think too hard, others maybe do. But I'd like to call up anyone who feels like the Lord may be calling them to do something. And it may be a little challenging. And you have this staff, and the Lord just keeps looking at you going, what's that in your hand? It just looks like a stick. (laughs) Big deal, I got a stick. No, 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 no. What's that in your hand? So as I see that, I'd like to challenge you. What's in your hand to do for Jesus? They may be eating your lunch or maybe so confusing or whatever, but if that's you and you have something like that in your heart, come to the front. Whether you're, and I would say especially if you're not succeeding very well with it. <laughs> it's a challenge and you're trying to do it, but it's not, sort of like me, it's not that great, you know. It started off great, and the vision was good. And this prayer is partly to make the vision clearer for you and also to give you some joy. So let's ask God to give you some joy and give you clarity. Some of you need some more instructions. You're pioneering something or you're stepping into something and you need to know, okay, God, what's my part in this now? Some of you have a dream that's just at the beginning, and some of you have a dream that's toward the end, toward the end that's almost complete. Some of you are just at the beginning of your journey. So I would just call all the beginners and all those that are well on in their ministry or well on in something. Maybe you're right in the middle and you're wondering, what in the heck am I doing? I know you took a huge change, challenge, right? You took a lease out. You did this incredible thing to teach music to kids. 
And now you've got to pay the bills. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> some of you are at the beginning of a vision. Some of you are in the middle of it. And some of you are on the other side looking for more. All right? Some of you are wondering if you should fund something. Some of you are wondering if you should go do something. Some of you are wondering if... <clears throat> Just thinking, thinking, thinking. These God's always doing these ideas and thoughts. What's that staff in your hand? Lord, I look over this whole congregation, everybody looking in, and I pray, God, that you would cause multiple staffs to fall in our hands. Some of the staffs you'll get is to help somebody else, right? Some of the staffs you have will be to do something on your own, pioneering, right? So, Lord, I just thank you. Whatever that looks like, I pray, and here, this is a... I want to do this real carefully because we'll spend five minutes or so and we'll be baptizing. So don't worry about being distracted, okay? Listen to me. Some of you, this is a a moment where God's furthering the vision. He's speaking to your heart. Some of you don't have an idea of what to do, but you're open. You just want to cause, right? Some of you have a general idea. Some of you are well along and you've come to a roadblock and now... You're trying to figure out what the next step is. And you're asking God. You have the staff in your hand, but you've got to do the next step. And it's a little bit intimidating. So, Lord, for all the dreamers out there, all those that have staff in their hand, I pray in the name of Jesus, you would just give them the knowledge they need and the inspiration and the courage they need. The ability to release resource. The ability to take care of resource. The ability to recruit or be recruited, the ability to volunteer or get volunteers, the ability to see something they've never seen before, ability to investigate something they've never investigated before, decisions that have to be made on where they live, how they make a living, their job, whatever it is. Can I just say something to you business people? This is the most important time in America's history, most likely. And I want to just say something to you with regard to the future. You need to do well in business. You need to succeed. You need to be Joseph's or Josephine's, you can put it that way. Your authority in the marketplace is now more important than it ever was. God put a staff in your hand for the place where you work, for the place of influence you have, for the company that you have, for the person you work for. I declare that staff in your hand. May the Lord use you mightily with that staff. May you use it with what Jesus wants, not just what anybody else wants. May God help you to steward it. And may Pharaoh keep promoting you because you're doing the right thing and because God's behind it. May the Lord promote you. May God promote you. May He Himself promote you through the oddest of circumstances, through the most pagan of kings, through the worst part of the worst kind of uh, authority imaginable, but you keep coming up like Joseph. You just keep coming up. You work for a pagan king, but you just keep prospering. May the Lord just keep helping you. May the Lord open the door. May the Lord open the gates of heaven today. May the Lord open the gates of heaven today. What's that in your hand? May the Lord show you what's in your hand, and if you don't know what exactly is supposed to be there, may you not stop till you find it. And may each of you be productive. May each of you feel like you've got destiny in your hands. Feel like you're moving ahead with God. May the Lord bless you and watch over you, whatever area you're in. Education, business, whatever it is, whatever you do, 
your family, whatever it is. May the Lord put that stab in your hand. May you rule with righteousness. May you do your best. May God expand your influence. May God bless you when you go in, and may God bless you when you go out. In Jesus' name. I'd love to have some people just come along and pray for people on the front here. Just just pause for a moment. You just do your own prayer with the Lord. Just make sure you, we're going to do some baptizing, but just you just do something right here with you and the Lord. This is you and the Lord right now. You can do it from your seat right here. You just tell Him about it. Tell Him what you're concerned about. Volunteer. Some of you are signing up. Don't worry. God will show you what the staff looks like a little bit later, even if you don't know. May the Lord just cause ideas and creative thoughts just percolate. May you be fruitful in the land. May every one of you, whether it's in your family or a new idea with a business or maybe a, a new area in education or whatever it is, may the Lord prosper you and do good in the land. Amen.